today we begin a series of messages for this holiday season entitled, Tis the Season, beginning in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled. Remember those words. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, was uh, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, in these next few minutes, I pray that I can be a vessel through which you can work to speak to your people who've gathered here today and those that are watching us live. And I pray, Lord, that you will cause this message to be heard by hearing ears. There are people here that are distracted by lots of other things that have to go on this season. But Lord, let them not be distracted from the messages that will be brought in these coming days because these messages are so vitally important as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've been celebrating Christmas for 66 years. And it is one of the highlights of my year. I love the Christmas season. I love the lights, and I love the tinsel. I love the decorations at people's houses. I love the inflatables in your yards. I love Santa on the rooftop. I love all of those different aspects of Christmas. I especially love every aspect as it relates to the coming of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. In thinking about the birth of the Christ child, that very first Christmas morning is one of the highlights of my life, to be able to stop and ponder it, to be able to stop and consider it. And Sometimes I think over the course of the many years of my life and maybe over the course of your lives that we've heard the Christmas story so many times that we tend to sanitize it and we forget the deep emotions And some of the deep struggles that were going on in the lives of those who are participating in this event. We think about our children on a stage somewhere and a little toy child, a little doll baby that some little girl has and somebody playing the part of Joseph and it all seems so fun and so innocent and it seems to be, you know, so uh, easy And yet, when you stop and you look at the stories of those who were involved, you begin to realize that there were some really deep emotions, and there were some great struggles that went on. And I want you to think with me for a few minutes this morning about Mary. It says that she was troubled. She was troubled. Think about it for a few moments about what might have overwhelmed her? Because at Christmas, sometimes we feel overwhelmed. Think of some of the things that could have overwhelmed Mary and probably did overwhelm her at times. Just think for a moment about an angel 
appearing suddenly, this bright light in your presence. You've never seen an angel before. God has never spoken to you in that way before. And suddenly, here a young woman who's between 13 and 16 years of age has an angel that appears and begins speaking to her. I don't know about you, but when I think about such an event as that, I can't help but stop and imagine that there was a period of time when Mary had to have been overwhelmed by the reality of the person who was standing before her, and especially about what he's saying to her. He's telling her that she is going to be the vehicle through which God is going to bring the Messiah into the world. This young teenage girl is going to be the one through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to come. And all of that is going to be a miraculous event. It'll be before she and Joseph come together. They're betrothed. That's not equal to being engaged. Engagement is not a legally binding relationship, but a betrothal is a legally, is a legally binding uh, relationship to get out of it. It required a divorce, divorce writings, divorce papers, all they were waiting for was the wedding ceremony and for the consummation of that relationship, but that has not happened. And now she's being told by this angel that appears in this room with her that she's going to be the mother of this child, and she's not been with Joseph yet. And stop and think about being told that you're going to be the mother of the Christ child. I mean, you mothers have been through the process of bringing children into the world, so you know something about that far better than any of the rest of us can understand that. And it's tough just thinking about the responsibility. There's joy in it, absolutely. But it's tough thinking about the responsibility in raising a normal human being. Can you imagine raising the Son of God? Can you imagine the Messiah being the one that you hold in your arms and that you nurse, you nurse at your breast? Can you imagine that that's the one that you're going to be given the responsibility of overseeing and caring for until he comes to that point that he enters into his, his, his own ministry. And then consider how overwhelming it must have felt to her to have to try to explain this to Joseph. You know, she leaves and she goes to visit with Elizabeth for a period of time. And she, when she comes back, she's clearly showing that she is with child that she's going to give birth. And Joseph has to know that something is going on. He obviously knows that something is going on, and Mary has to try to explain it. Can you imagine that conversation? Joseph, an angel appeared to me. A what? I'm going to have a baby, and it's going to be the Christ child. Are you crazy? What are you thinking? Who have you been with? What is going on with you? I thought we loved each other. We had a life plan. We had a wedding plan. What do you mean? What's going on here? And can you imagine what that conversation might have been like and the overwhelming responsibility that she must have felt while she's carrying this child and she's got to somehow explain this to Joseph and that the angel not appeared to Joseph, he might never have understood but she was feeling the overwhelming responsibility that had been placed on her, that responsibility of caring for the Messiah, the Christ child. And then she had to wonder, will Joseph just walk away from me? Will he leave me? And will I be subject to whatever? And certainly in the back of her mind, she has to be thinking, this is God who's spoken to me, so God has a plan but nevertheless, there's still all of the emotion and all of the mental anguish it must have been going through her mind as she's thinking about the unfolding of this story to the various people around her. And then just consider for a moment, as she continues to show that she's pregnant, the voices. Do you realize that we are sometimes extremely cruel people? We talk about people and talk behind their backs and say things about them, and we speak about them in ways, and they know that we're talking about them. They know that we're speaking about them. You know, it's the little whispers. Do you hate to walk into a room and two people are whispering when you walk in, and you wonder to yourself, are they talking about me? You ever, you ever felt that way? Or your wife or your husband has gotten a text, and they're texting back, and you're wondering, who is that? Who's texting you? We're together. Who's texting you? 
Can, can, can you imagine the first century? Here is a young woman, 13 to 16 years of age, who is with child, and they know it's not Joseph's child. And now she's showing, as she gets closer to the date of the birth of this child, she's showing more obviously in the talking in the town and the voices of everybody. Can you just imagine, ladies, for a moment, the overwhelming sense that she must have had, feeling like she was the talk of everybody's conversation? And then comes census time. Of all times, for them to have to call a census, and we got to make a trip 70 to 80 miles to, to, to Bethlehem. 70 to 80 miles. It goes up into the mountain. It's it got to go 70 to 80 miles. She's at a point in her pregnancy when many doctors today would say, you shouldn't be traveling at all. And the reality is we often portray Mary traveling on the back of a donkey, and she may very well have traveled on the back of a donkey, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. We just assume that to be true. Much of that journey she may have had to make on foot. You're talking about a four- or a five-day journey with a pregnant woman to be able to make that journey. And she's having to make this journey in this situation to go to a town, her husband's town, so that they can be registered, so that their taxes can be assessed to them. Can you imagine how overwhelming that must have felt as she's making her way along? Again, I understand that in the back of her mind there's a sense of purpose because she knows this is God who is doing this and God who is at work, but she's human too. That's the point of these messages. She's human too. She feels many of the things that we have a tendency to feel. And then when they get to Bethlehem, what happens? When they get to Bethlehem, there's no place for them. The town is so crowded. We often fault the innkeeper. But the reality is the town is so crowded that there isn't any place left for, her, for them. Everybody turns them away. There is no place. No family can take her in. Nobody has a place for them to be able to lodge while they're there. This is a pregnant woman. Just think about that journey. There, there's no fast food on the journey. There's no rest stops. There's no air conditioning. And there's no comfort of any other kind. And then when you get to Bethlehem, and it's as if they don't have any room for you, and they don't have any room for you, you can begin to feel the overwhelming nature of some of the things that on the human perspective must have been going through the mind, must have been what uh, Mary was feeling as she was going through this experience in her life, and then to end up in a stable. Some say it was a cave. Others say it's the front of a house where the animals were brought in at night, which is probably most likely. But whether it's a cave or whether it's the front of the house where the animals were brought in and the people lived in the back of the house matters very little, really. I mean, she's going to have a delivery in the livery. She's going to have a delivery in the livery. This is no way that any mother would ever imagine wanting to bring her child into the world or to have to lay him in the trough that the animals feed from. And when it comes time to give birth, I don't know how it all unfolds. I imagine that there were midwives available and maybe there were midwives who came. And can you see Joseph outside prancing back and forth waiting for the delivery of, of this child in the livery? And he's pacing back and forth outside while the midwives help. Or maybe Joseph himself was there giving uh, his assistance to the birth of this child. And hardly after the child is born, they've already got company. Don't you love it, ladies, when you've just given birth at the hospital and everybody shows up in your room? I mean, you're at your very best. You've never looked better and you've never felt better. You probably have never been happier because you're holding in your arms that beautiful gift that God has given to you, but you're really not ready for company, whether it's the preacher or not. <laughs> you're really not ready for company. And here come the angels, uh, the, here come the shepherds who have been spoken to by the angels from the field, shepherds to begin with. You realize we make a great deal out of shepherds, but the shepherding sheep was a low priority, was not a high it was not a high, highly prized position in the first century. And here are these 
shepherds that show up because of a message that they have received. Or think about the few days later when they have to take Jesus for the customary circumcision. Can't you just imagine Mary telling Joseph, there's no way I'm riding back to our place in Nazareth on a donkey with a baby who's just been circumcised. And of course, they weren't going back to Nazareth. They were going back to Bethlehem, or they were in Bethlehem. But can you imagine what it must have been like? Just try for a few moments. Put yourself in the place of Mary and to understand that she has been given a message from God and now a gift from God that carries with it some overwhelming circumstances that at times must have seemed extremely daunting. You realize that there's a lot of people who feel that way at the Christmas season. I was interested to find that one writer was going to do an article about the Christmas season. And so he went out planning to ask people about Christmas and how they felt about Christmas and what they thought about Christmas. And he was expecting that Andy Williams version, you know, where it says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Some of you aren't old enough to know who Andy Williams is, but that's okay. One day you'll hear good music. (laughs) It's the most wonderful time of the year. But as you began asking people around and talking to people around, trying to prepare to write this article, what he mainly got were stories about growing old or comparisons with happier Christmases or stories about illnesses or other similar kind of negative emotions and negative feelings. You mean in the most joyous time of the year when it's all decorated and all the lights are everywhere and everybody's singing all these happy songs and all the parties are going on and all the gifts are being bought and the kids are looking forward to Santa's, uh, Santa coming to the house? You mean in the midst of all of that, people find themselves overwhelmed? Absolutely. And maybe you're one of those who finds yourself overwhelmed during holiday seasons. I found a list of seven major things that overwhelm people at the Christmas season. This is not my list. This is a list done by a study. But number one was finances. People are overwhelmed by finances. They're concerned about having enough money either to buy the things that they think they ought to buy or to be able to pay for the things they've already bought on their credit cards. And so they're all very concerned about their finances Are we going to have enough money? Will we have enough to buy all the things that we need to buy? Can we pay for everything that we've bought? It reminds me of something that I heard Dave Ramsey, the finance guru who helps people get out of debt, say. He said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) And isn't that true? And some of you are worried about finances Can I afford this? Can I pay for this? Will I have enough money for this? My child wants this. What am I going to do if I don't get my son or my daughter this particular thing or my husband or my wife this particular thing? And they're overwhelmed by finances. Some overwhelmed by stress. Stress that comes from shopping and from planning and from dinners and from decorations. If you don't think stress is alive and well when it comes to shopping, just go to the mall during the rush hour of the holiday season and look at all the smiles (laughs) and notice all the joyous people in the parking lot and watch everybody racing around the end to get to that one open spot that just opened up and now two cars are looking at each other and they're daring the other to try to take that spot. And those who have to check us out, who really don't make the policies, are the ones who often say it's the most abusive season of the year because we're so happy. The stress causes overwhelming feelings for a lot of people. The third is loneliness. As of 2020, 31% of American adults, that's one in three American adults are single. Some of them by choice, but others maybe mostly not by choice, but they're single, and they have a sense of loneliness. Can I stop here for a moment? I want to brag on one of our families who, at Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day, had a turkey dinner here at our church for people who didn't have a place to go on Thanksgiving Day. 
That makes this pastor proud. That makes me proud because there's a lot of people that are lonely at this season of the year. Their family either lives too far away. I picked up our, Mary and I picked up our granddaughter at college and uh, visited with her this past week. And one of the things we noticed were the international students that were left on campus with no place to go. Others are overwhelmed by grief. Grief. They're missing a, a loved one who has passed from them. There's a seat that's empty that's not usually empty. There's a voice that's heard that's not being heard this season. And they're trying to make the adjustments to the absence of their loved one. And the grief sometimes is overwhelming as if it's almost going to crush them. They don't even think they can laugh or they can even enjoy a party at the holiday season. Another is estrangement. That is, we're estranged from our friends or we're estranged from our family. Families not getting along together. They have feelings of sadness and they have feelings of guilt and feelings of resentment. There's inner conflict as to whether they should communicate with their friends or their family or not because, I mean, they're on the outs with one another. And that makes them have this sense of an overwhelming in their lives that causes the Christmas season to be difficult. Or number six was divorce. Some have gone through the living death of a relationship. And the holidays remind them of happier times when they used to sit around the table and they used to enjoy one another, have company with one another, husband and wife with one another, but now they're, they're alone again. And, and what's next? I mean, am I going to get on the dating app? Maybe I'll get on the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> Which, by the way, if I can just give you my opinion... Any of those shows where you're finding your mate in that fashion, you're just stupid. That's a good Christmas word, isn't it? Divorce, or here's the one that I find myself dealing with, pleasing everyone. You just feel like i got to please everybody. You know, this tradition my grandmother passed down, my great-grandmother passed down to my grandmother, passed down to my mother that was passed down to me, and I've got to make sure that I pass it down to my kids so they'll pass it down to their kids. And, you know, you've got this sense of I've got to keep pleasing somebody. I've got to please the people at the office, and I've got to please the kids at the house, and I've got to please the husband, or I've got to please the wife, or I've got to please my family. They're all coming, and the house has got to be perfect. Pleasing everyone. I, Mary and I went to a life group Christmas party last night. And we were so thankful to be invited. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had supper. But we were so thankful. We were so thankful to be invited. But I can't go to every group party. I can't be at everything that was going on. Neither can you. We have to pace ourselves. We have to understand that you can't please everybody. And when you stop and you think about it, the holiday season, the Christmas season, yes, it's filled with joy and it's filled with lights and it's filled with decorations and all the smiles of the kids and all the fun. And yet, in the midst of it all, we at times feel a sense of an overwhelmingness that surrounds us. And we wonder, am I going to make it through? Am I just going to get through this season. If I can just get to January 1, and then you think, if I get to January 1, then the bill's going to come due January 15th. And that overwhelming, you're not the first to feel that. I am sure that Mary felt some of those same kinds of things when she heard the story that was given to her by the angel that she was carrying the Christ child and that they were going to have to, she was going to have to explain this to Joseph and they were going to have to make this 70 or 80 mile journey late in her pregnancy. I can imagine that when she's turned down there in Bethlehem and she has to have a delivery in the livery, I can imagine there's a lot of uh, overwhelming emotions that she had to deal with and you're not the first to have have to deal with them. As a matter of fact, um, I like Murphy's Law. You know, have you read those Murphy's Laws? You know, like, if it can go wrong, it will. Those kinds of things. Did you know that there are Murphy's Laws for the holidays, for the Christmas holiday? Let me just give you a couple of them. Maybe it'll help you to smile a little bit while I'm preaching. Here's the first one. 
It takes, uh, the time it takes to find a parking place is proportionate to the amount of time you have to spend. That's spin shopping. So you got 15 minutes to spin shopping, it's going to take you 15 minutes to find a parking place. Or even better than that. The other line always moves faster, and if you don't believe it, change lines and see what happens. <laughs> I've done it a thousand times. You're moving faster over there. Look at there, three people have gone by me. Okay, let's get over here in this line. All of a sudden, zoom. They're all up. They're all paid out. I'm still in line. Or how about this one? When you return to the store to buy the gift your husband, wife, or child showed you the previous day, it's gone and there are no more in stock. You didn't like that one very well. So here's one for Brother Nathan, the choir, and the praise team. The central performer in the Christmas program comes down with laryngitis the day before the performance. Or here's a real life one. If the commode is going to break or the sink back up, it will always happen while everyone is at your house celebrating. <laughs> Been there, done that. And this one is for those of us that are a little older. Mary and I have movies that we like to watch at Christmas. We watch them every Christmas. One of them is It's a Wonderful Life. We watched it just recently, you know, the Jimmy Stewart movie. Jimmy Stewart, young people. Jimmy Stewart was a famous actor at one time. Jimmy Stewart. If Clarence the Angel from the movie It's a Wonderful Life shows up, you're in for an interesting day. <laughs> the fact of the matter is we all have to deal with these emotions sometimes of being overwhelmed. Most of us can handle it most of the time. Some of us get so overwhelmed that we can't hardly move forward in our lives, and it becomes debilitating in our lives. So I want to give you three suggestions, and I want to bring this message to a close, but understand that's going to take me a little while to do that. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, I was going to school some of that time, and then I was, I was a youth pastor at the church for almost five years. One of the things I had to learn to do was to drive a bus. We had we had 12 60-passenger old school buses that had been refurbished. Ten of those ran every Sunday. And we picked up kids all over the at rural community. Uh, anywhere between 200 and 500 kids would come every Sunday on those buses. Ten routes throughout that rural community. So one of the things I had to do was I had to learn how to drive an old school bus. None of them were automatic. All of them were, were straight shift. That wasn't too big of a deal. I had learned to drive a straight shift as a teenager before I was allowed to drive. My daddy made me do that. So I knew how to do the gas and the, the, the clutch, and I was able to work those uh, together. But there were other things that you didn't have to have a CDL, a commercial driver's license in those days. You should have. But you didn't have to have a commercial license. And we, we had young people twice a summer. We took them to Six Flags Over Georgia. That's a 35-mile drive from the church. And we would take two buses full. We would take between 80 and 100 teenagers every time, those two times. And I drove one of those buses at my early 20s. Somebody should have had their brain checked. What in the world is he doing driving that bus? But my father-in-law was one of those bus captains every week. I was dating this beautiful lady who's now my wife. And uh, he decided he was going to teach me how to drive that bus, and he did. He taught me how to drive that bus. And one of the things he said, you got to know, you got to remember, is when you come to the railroad tracks, there's three things you got to do. Number one, you got to stop, you got to look, and you got to listen. You got to stop before you get to the railroad tracks, you got to open the doors, you got to look both directions to make sure you don't see a train coming, and then you got to listen. You got to make sure to listen to make sure you don't hear a whistle or you don't hear a train coming. Then you pull the door closed and you go across the tracks. And, you know, most of the time my points for a message, my application for a message come out of the text itself. Today it's going to come out of the wisdom of experience, out of the wisdom of years, and I trust out of the wisdom of God. And we're going to use those three words stop, look, and listen. There's three things that we need to do this Christmas if we're going to overcome this overwhelming feeling that we have. And number one is we need to stop. We need to stop the madness. We need to stop the madness. The commercialization of Christmas has become so severe 
It's pushing us to do things that are way beyond what we need to be doing or what we ought to be doing. Maybe some can do it, others can't do it, but the reality is they're constantly driving us. They're making our kids more desirous of all the things that are available, and everybody's got to have what everybody else has. And because of social media, we now, co- we now compare ourselves among ourselves, and Paul says, that is not wise. And sometimes we just need to put up our hand and say, stop the madness. Christmas is about Jesus. I read recently about one lady who's a member of our church who had said that she's simplifying her Christmas. Not as many of the decorations that she used to put out, not as many of the trees as she used to put out. If you can do that and you're not overwhelmed by it, well and good, but not everybody has to do what everybody else is doing. That's the point. Some of us just need to simplify and stop the madness. We need to recognize that I don't have to, my house doesn't have to win the contest for the neighborhood. And my kids don't have to be dressed in the exact same clothes and have everything every other child is able to have because their parents have more money than we have. And I don't have to have so many gifts under the tree that my children don't know which gift is the most important gift that we're, they're, they're going to be opening on Christmas morning. Sometimes we just need to stop the madness. If you can do some things that others can't do, well and good. But understand that not everybody can do what you can do. And the others of us just need to understand we don't have to do what everybody else is doing. Sometimes we need to say to our children, you know what? This is going to be a simpler Christmas than it's been in the past. We're not going to spend as much money as we have spent before. And we're going to spend more time building memories. Besides that, that your kids aren't going to remember those toys in a few years anyway. What they're going to remember are the memories that you make together. And those toys aren't what make the memories. It's the time that you spend with each other that makes the memories. There's a couple of movies that sort of illustrate what I'm talking about. One of them is Jingle All the Way. I don't recommend either of these two movies necessarily. I'm just telling you I've seen them, and I'm, I'm telling you that there's funny parts about them. It's about two fathers. They're both uh, looking to get for their son the Turbo Man action figure. One of them's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's been a neglectful father. He's not done the things he should have been doing. He's too busy with his work. He's got too many things going on. And the one thing he was supposed to make sure he got was that Turbo Turbo Man action figure. And for the rest of the movie, the other man is Sinbad. I don't know what the name of the actor, I don't know what that name of the actor is Sinbad. I don't know what his character was. But for the rest of the movie, it's this back and forth, these antics with one another, trying to get the last Turbo Man doll. And sometimes you're watching it and you just feel like saying, stop the madness. Now, look, look at me for a moment. You wouldn't laugh at that movie if there wasn't a little bit of that in all of us. If there wasn't enough truth in it, we would never laugh at it. But there's enough truth in it that sometimes we get mad about something. I don't mean angry mad. I mean we go mad about something. And sometimes we need to stop the madness. Think about the Griswolds' home. All the lights. I mean every inch of the house is decorated with lights. And yet he he can't get the lights to come on. He keeps plugging them in and they won't come on. They're going to be the best decorated house ever. They won't come on until somebody goes out into one of the other rooms where all the things are plugged in and they happen to hit a switch and suddenly all the lights come on. You remember what happens? They begin to show the city in the background. All the lights go out in the city behind. Emergency power has to be put on by the power company. The power meter is spinning like a fan running up the power. And then she goes out and turns the light off turns that switch off, and he's back trying to get it to work until Mrs. Griswold remembers that that switch out there, that might be the thing. And She goes out and turns on the switch, and suddenly there's all of these lights, and you can see the house from outer space. Come on, folks. We need to remember that Christmas is not about all these 
things. There were no presents of that kind at the birth of Jesus. Well, what about the wise men? They didn't come to up to two years later. There wasn't all of that frivolity that we talk about in Christmas. And sometimes we just need to, to, to look at ourselves. Some things we can't control for you. Some things you can't control for me. Sometimes we just have to stop and say, I'm going to stop the madness. And we're going to focus on what is really the most essential aspect of the Christmas story, and that's Jesus. And if somebody can do better than you can do, that's okay. Let them do it. You're not judging them, and don't let them judge you. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. Excuse me to the Joneses in our church. That's just a phrase. I'm not saying it about you personally. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. You just have to create memories for your children and your family that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives that are meaningful memories that are built around the meaning of the, of the season we celebrate. They're built around the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It was Jesus who said to his disciples, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That's Jesus. It is not measured by how much you own or how much you can buy or how many presents are under the tree or whether you can carry on every tradition that's been handed down to you or whether you can dress as nicely and have as fancy an outfit as everybody else at the party. Sometimes we just need to understand your house doesn't have to be perfect. It'd be a whole lot more meaningful for it to be less than perfect but have the memories of the people there than to be so stressed out that you can't even enjoy the people because you're concerned about how the house looks. Number two, stop the madness. Number two, look to help others. Look to help others. I think there's more talked about today concerning mental health than at any other time that I can remember in my lifetime. I, for one, am grateful for that. I am thankful for those who are doing the studies and they're learning what needs to be learned to be able to help people with their, with their mental health. That's an absolutely essential aspect of life. And they have medications today. They're able to help people that have definite mental health issues, and we're grateful for those medications. But I'm going to tell you what we've done to at least two generations and maybe three that is keeping them from truly being happy and truly having better mental health. We've been telling two or three generations now, what you need to do is just love yourself more. This is really all about you. What's most important in life is that you take care of yourself you make sure that you think of you before you think of anybody else. And we have put the self-love at the front of the minds of our children and taught them to love themselves to such a degree that it's become a mental health issue. Do you realize that sometimes the most important thing you can do is to stop thinking about yourself and think about somebody else and say, you know what I'm going to do this Christmas season? It's not going to be all about me. It's not going to be all about my family. It's going to be about others as well. I was reading the story about a couple of college kids that were working on the inner city of Florence, South Carolina. They were working on the inner city of Florence, South Carolina, where some of the poorest areas were of that community. And so these students decided they were going to adopt a family each, and they were going to buy a present for each of the members of the family, and then they were going to buy a whole bunch of groceries for each of the family. By the way, you don't need your church to do that. You can do that yourself. Just go do that. They were going to buy a gift for each member of the family, and they were going to buy extra groceries for that family for their Christmas gift. And this particular college student that was writing talked about what most impressed him it was that little five-year-old boy who, when he opened up that bag of raisins, you know how inside it has these boxes of raisins? 
He opened up that bag of raisins and he held up that little uh, tiny box of sun-dried fruit in one hand and he danced around his house shouting, Mom, I have raisins. Look, Mom, I have raisins. He actually cried, this student said, saying, Look, Mom, raisins. Some of us are so selfish that if we don't get the iPad Pro, we get the iPad 10.9, we're going to be unhappy. I mean, this is about me. Do you understand? Christmas is about me. I didn't get the Apple Pencil to go with my iPad. Now, I'm not sure that I can even use these things anymore. And we've become so, so special to ourselves that we forget the others that are around us. And we never look at anybody else or think about anybody else but ourselves. The shopping mall is full of people that are buying for themselves. And yet, God wants us to look to help others. No one of us can help everybody, but every one of us can help somebody. Did you hear that? No one of us can help everybody, but every one of us can help somebody. And I don't know if you know this or not, because you haven't done it in a while, but there is something about helping somebody else that cannot do anything in return for you, to help somebody else who cannot do anything in return for you, or somebody else that isn't expecting you to do anything for them, to do something for them that changes your mental health, because you stop looking at yourself. The more you look inward, the darker it gets. The more you look outward, the more grateful you become for the things that God has already given you. Hebrews 13.1 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. What, what if this year you took $100 from each of the children you're going to spend? Just tell them up front, we're going to take $100 from each of the children. Each of my children spend $100 less than we normally spend, and we're going to spend that $100 or by the number of children you have. We're going to spend that amount on a family that we could bless. Not to get anything from them, not to get recognition, not to get it so that we can get a picture of it and make everybody know what good thing we've done for them. We just do it because it's like Jesus to do it. A little chorus Mary and I learned years ago says, Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like, like thee. And when I kneel to pray, help me to pray. It goes on to say, pray for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Do you know why Jesus came from heaven? Jesus came from heaven for you. He didn't come to heaven from heaven for himself. He came for you. He came for others. You can't be like Jesus if all you're doing is thinking about yourself in this navel-gazing, this constant introspection where you're always thinking about you is creating greater mental health problems. Some of the best advice you can get is just to tell somebody, forget yourself and go do something for somebody else. You say, Pastor, that can't be true. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Love your neighbor, it implies that you already love yourself. Now, there may be some people that that's an exception, and they definitely need mental health help. But it says, love your neighbor as yourself. You, you know in Ephesians chapter 5, what it says to husbands? It says, husbands, love your wives like you love your own body. No man ever hated his own body. No man ever hated his own body. The problem isn't that we don't love ourselves enough. The problem is we love ourselves too much and we don't think about anybody else. There was a young student in seminary. He had to spend some of his tuition money to get an airline ticket to go to his grandfather's funeral. His family couldn't afford it, so he took the money he'd been saving for his, his next semester and he bought the airline ticket and he went to his grandfather's funeral at the Christmas season. He said that when he returned to his dorm room at the school that he learned that everybody in his dorm had given money to him. And all together his dorm had given him back all the tuition money he had used for the plane flights for the funeral. Oh, 
what a refreshing thing. Stop the madness. Look to help others. And finally, listen for God's voice. Aren't you thankful Mary listened? Aren't you thankful Mary listened, church? Listen for God's voice. I hope you know this season God is speaking. As a matter of fact, he's speaking today. And it's, it's happening in a couple of ways. One of you are, are really convicted. You're probably a little upset with me. I, I don't know your circumstances. I don't know if this applies to you, whether you needed this specifically or not. So it's not like I'm at your living room and I got a little camera watching what all happens in your house. I don't know. I'm just telling you that I'm preaching what God told me to preach. I'm giving you what God gave me to give you. Too often the problem at Christmas season is we're so busy and so distracted we don't hear the voice of God. We don't hear him speaking. But I want to tell you God is speaking this season. I want you first to know that God is calling you to salvation. He's calling you to himself. He's calling you to the forgiveness that he offers. He's calling you to the eternal life that he wants to give. He's calling you to a new life in him. He's calling you to a reservation in heaven that can't be taken away. He's calling you to be an heir of God. He's calling you to be his child. He's calling you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to understand you're lost in your sins. If you die in that condition, you'll be separated from God forever. There is no hope for you in yourself to be able to solve that problem. Only Jesus can solve that problem. And he's calling, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. I'll save you right now, right here, this day, this moment. You can walk out of this room knowing that Christ is your Savior. I've told you this many times, and I, I'm sorry. I, I, it was God's plan for me to be here 41 years today. So please forgive me. I was saved on December the 26th, and one of the first thoughts that passed through my mind was, next Christmas, I'll get to celebrate a real Christmas. Because I'll know the Christ of Christmas is my own Savior. Wouldn't it be great to go through these coming weeks knowing that Christ is your Savior, that your soul is at peace with God, that you know your sins are forgiven, that you know you're the possessor of eternal life. The greatest gift ever given was the gift of Jesus Christ and the gift of that eternal life. And he offers it to anyone. All you have to do is be willing to receive it. And he's calling you. He's calling you that are watching us. And he's saying, if you'll come to me and put your faith in me, I'll save you today and I'll make you my child today. He's calling to salvation, but he's also calling us to serve. What was he doing with Mary? He was calling her to serve him. Folks, this is the season of the year we need to be serving. We need to be moving into a new year shortly, looking for the ways that God would have us and the way he's calling us to go serve him. I don't know how much time you have left. I don't know how much time I have left, but I don't want to waste my time, right? You don't want to waste your time either, do you? We want to use that time to serve the Lord. I can't do all the things I used to do when I was 30 or when I was 40, but I can do some things that, uh, that I can do them a lot smarter than I used to do them with a lot more wisdom than I used to do them, and I can pace myself and I can continue to do things to serve the Lord Jesus. How about you? What can you do? God's calling. If you hear his voice, Mary heard his voice. Mary said, let it be to me. Let it, let it happen to me, just like you said. God, I'm willing to be your vessel. He's calling you to himself in salvation. He's calling you to himself in service. And he's saying, get off the sidelines. Get out of the bench. Get off the bench. Get in the game. Get busy. Go to work. God has a, God has a purpose in this world. Do you understand the work God is doing in this world? God is doing through his church. You say, well, we got all these other outside organizations. And yes, we're thankful for every single one of them. But the reality is none of those were ordained by God. The church is what is ordained by God. And God is doing his work in the church. And God is calling. 
We need to stop the madness. We need to look out and help others and forget ourselves. And we need to listen. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve you? How can I best make a difference with the time that I have remaining in this world?